Can you know God? Can you know Him? Yes. Lots of us would say yes. And I'm glad. I'm glad. In fact, I bet you're at this summit because you're asking that question or you have asked it before. Can you know God? We've all asked it. It's the big question of our age, once again. We're all asking the question, can you know God? Everyone's asking it. Not just the people here at CU Country Summit, but the people around the world are asking this question again and again in different ways, with different means. But they're asking, can you know God? I reckon if you're bold enough to ask that question on your campus, which I encourage you to be bold enough to ask that question on your campus, you ask it of your friends, lunchtimes, lectures, wherever it is, you get a range of responses, wouldn't you? The agnostic says, I don't know. But they might not know they're an agnostic, they might not know what that word means, but that's okay, they don't know much at all. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who, who, can I know God? I don't know. It's a pretty easy option for some people. I just don't know. The atheist, of course, says, you might be used to this because, you know, there's a bit of a kind of movie saga going on with atheists and us these days. They say, I know you can't. I know you can't know God. That's what the atheist says. Of course, there's a new group in town, not just the atheists, the new group, the anti-theists, anti-theists. They're not just kind of, you know, I know you can't believe in God, they're against God, and even, he doesn't exist, but we're against his non-existence or existence, whatever it is, they would say, I hate the thought of God, let alone, can I know him? Then you've got a couple of other people, perhaps, that are your friends, friends like this, you've got the deist, you know, he's kind of like, well, God is there, but he's not personable, he's not, he doesn't relate to me. He doesn't interact with the universe. He started it, kicked it off, and then he just left. And he's kind of just left it going. It's the deist. American founding fathers were kind of deists, many of them. Perhaps you've got friends that are theistic. They believe in God, and maybe it sounds like they believe in God like you believe in God. They, they say, yes, you can know God. God is personable. He's interactive. Then they get to that kind of point where, but which God are you talking about? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Which God are you, we'll get some amens later. Which God are you talking about? Of course, for many of us in this room, you're like me, you're a Christian. And the Christian, when it comes to answering that question, answers like you did. Can you know God? Yes. Yes, you can. For us this morning, though, we're going to start by asking the question, how? How can you know him? It's good that you can, and I'm very thankful. In fact, I will go into eternity praising God that you know God, but how do you know God? That's the question we're starting with this morning. This is the sort of question that bends our brains. It's the stuff of debate. It seems insurmountable. The gap between us and God is too big. Faith is like a fairy tale, perhaps. That's what the new atheists say. Um, But we're going to spend this week studying God. This field of study is called theology. Theology. Everybody guess where it comes from? Theos, God, ology, study of, speaking of. We're going to look at God. And as we do this work together over five days of studying our Creator, as Nick has said and prayed, as we study God, we're going to see what we know about Him from His revelation to us. And in doing this, we're going to undertake this, this study, this area we call the doctrine of God. Lots of people think doctrine's a boring word. Oh, doctrine. Mm. Doctrine. You know, I don't have doctrine. I don't know you sort of Christians, but I don't, have do- I don't do doctrine, okay? 
right? Doctrine is like so 90s. <laughs> Can I just remind you, just for a moment, if that's what you think, actually, you have doctrine. Everyone's got doctrine. The military has doctrine. Military has doctrine, doctrine of how we're going to conquer a country or blow up something. Everyone's got a doctrine. Doctrine is just what you believe and teach. Everyone's got doctrine. School teachers have got doctrine. Outdoor education students even have got doctrine. Everyone's got doctrine. We all have something we believe and teach. We're going to look at what we believe and teach about God. And how we get to know him is where we're beginning. That's where we start. Welcome to Summit 2012. Yeah. Is that a little baby? No, it wasn't. <laughs> so where can we start? If we want to get to know God, how can we know him? Where can we start? Sorry, I wasn't accusing you of being a baby. If that was <laughs> Where can we start? I reckon we ought to start where most of your friends start. Let's start there. Let's start way back. It would be easy for me, and I would love to, uh, go to places that I'm very familiar with to start talking about knowing God. The problem is, a lot of my friends, perhaps a lot of like your friends, my Facebook friends, the majority of them, have no idea how they could know God. And let's go to where they start, where your friends start. If you were to ask them, can you know God? They would say no. Where can we start? Well, they would say no. That you can't know God because he isn't there, Russ. He's just not there. I don't need to tell you who the stars of this show are. You know, Richard Dawkins, he's Lord Voldemort. Um, uh, I think late Christopher Hitchens, he was Darth Vader. You know, they're all the bad guys. It's, this, this kind of debate, this, this saga, this thing that's going on in the kind of the 21st century, it's really easy to character to a people, isn't it? You know, they're the bad guys, and we're the good guys, and all that sort of stuff. But atheists are not always so mean, right? Some of them are just your friends, and they just come to some sort of conclusion in their mind by doing what they do and whatever method they use and say there is no God. So you can't know him. He's just not there. Now, this is not the time and place to find all the fallacies with new atheism. Like, it's... I think we were going to have an elective on proving God. Is it still there? Maybe not. No. Not time and place. Suffice to say, though, I think we can kind of cut through the new atheism stuff fairly quickly by just looking at a few big points of their claims. So new atheism, as opposed to the old stuff, new atheism is very aggressive. You might, this is the, the saga we're talking about, the movie stars, the Dawkins, the crew. Them. Very aggressive, and they've got a big claim. A big claim that says, well, basically, belief in God is irrational. It is irrational. And they would say, often, emotional. If you're a believer in God, it's irrational and emotional. Human reason cannot find God, so he's just not there. It's a big claim, though, isn't it? Human reason? I mean, human reason for some people means that they've not worked out that rugby is the best game in the universe. To sort of claim that human reason can also work out that God is not there. It's a big claim to claim that your mind is so powerful that you can work out God is not there. And perhaps you collect a bunch of minds together and call yourselves, I don't know, the brights or something, and you've worked out by human reason alone that God is not there. As John Lennox points out in his book, Gunning for God, John Lennox is a Christian, math professor in Oxford. If that book's in the bookstore, grab it. If it's not, it's a good book to look at this issue. In Gunning for God, he says this, the problem is, human reason did not create the universe. And so we, do not, we did not even create our own powers of reason. Therefore, how can it be that what goes on in our tiny heads gives us anything near to a true account of reality? Why would we start with the atheist answer to can we know God? Well, again, because many of you have friends that are atheists, I suppose, I guess. But also because maybe you're in this room. 
You're here at Summit 2012. You're here because you thought it would be good to see what Christians believe about God, about existence and rationality, epistemology, ontology, all theologies. You thought it would be good to see what Christians believe about that. And can I say, you are so welcome. Welcome to the summit that is going to rock your world. And just so you know, I'm not trying to dismiss your claims. I'm not trying to do that, you know, just make a character for myself or kind of make it funny and make people kind of just laugh. I'm not trying to do that. Just so you know that, let me talk your language for a moment. I want to help atheists and agnostics in this room just help just catch up a little bit to, to where we're talking. See, for most students I mix with, maybe it's the same for you, most students I mix with, you say God, what does the student on campus say? It's like one of those games, you know, you play those games, um, dog, wolf, cat, you know, okay? yeah. differences, yes. Um, you know, you may say car, drive. You might say roof guttering. <laughs> yeah. So we have we play that game. You play that on campus, right? You say God. What do people say? They say science, don't they? What do they mean by that? They mean when you're talking about God. Hang on a second. Science has disproven God. Got you there. Ha <laughs> ha. They're not actually presenting you with a reasoned argument. In fact, students don't do that these days. Have you noticed how your friends argue on Facebook? They don't do reasoned argument anymore. No one does that. It really bothers me. What do they do? Here's what I think. Link. Here's how you're wrong. Link. (laughs) How about, you know, you put some points down on paper on the page and reason through it? No, no one does that. Link. Someone else thinks this. What about what you think? The reason we do that we do that, they do that, they use science when it comes to the God thing. It's what Tim Keller calls a defeater belief. Oh, I believe something, I'm going to use one word to defeat you. What, they do it to close the conversation. Shut it down. When it's about God, that's too scary, no, I don't believe in God. Shut it down with science. That's what they're doing. And, and, and in fact, what they're actually doing is being irrational. The claim that science has disproven God based on evidence of God in the world, well, to say that science has done that, it's just irrational, because here's the problem. The existence of God cannot be proven or disproven with science. Those that claim science can do that have way overreached the realm of what science can do. Way overreached. And ultimately, what they're arguing for is a blind leap of faith. A blind leap of faith. This has become the creed of our universities. This has become the creed of our universities. In other words, you're in Bendigo, in Ballarat, in Geelong, or Warrnambool, and Warrnambool's just arrived. This has become the creed of our universities. That is this. This is what your friends say. You know, believe in atheism. Why? Because of the science. No, not really because of the science. Why? Just because believe because they're scientists. They wouldn't speak lies. They wouldn't tell things that are not true. They're scientists. Do you see the problem? Atheism, in the end, if it relies upon science as the answer, it's not a sufficient answer. It's claiming things that science cannot claim. And it claims that we should just believe because they're scientists. That, friends, is a blind leap of faith. And Christians don't do it. I know you've heard that phrase before. You've probably used it. Christians don't have blind leaps of faith. I would encourage anyone to take a blind leap of faith. 
quite dangerous to take a blind leap of faith. We believe in things that are trustworthy. Someone who is trustworthy. We believe in things that are trustworthy. So what do you need to do from the scientist to the student? And if you're here at Summit 2012, I want to encourage you to look at the proposed evidences of God to actually undertake an examination. Now, it's not that you can prove or disprove God, but just look at the evidences for. Look at the, just to look at the, what's around. Look at the universe and look at the things, the marks for things that might indicate there might be something pre-existing the universe. If you're an atheist, agnostic, you're here with us, you have the opportunity this week to study God. So where do we start if we think that it's possible God exists? Where do we go to now? If it's possible that God exists, where do we go to now? At the very least, we want to know him, don't we? We just want to know that he exists, we want to know him. Where do most people go if they want to know that God exists and they want to know him? Well, they start by looking at the universe. That's where most people start. Where I'm from, that's where everyone starts. I'm from a little town, we, I mean, we at Bendigo, big city, 100,000 people, but I'm from a little town, we live in Castle, Maine. And where I'm from, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. where Nick is from, a lot of folk in Castle, Maine think that the way to know God is to just look at the universe, is to look at creation. It's not just the outdoor education students do this. They do this a lot, but it's not just them. See, I live in Castle, Maine. Castle, Maine is hippie central. And, um, and, and hippie, by the way, I think hippie is a, is a short word for hypocrite, but that's a talk for another day. Um, hippie central. Hippies love the environment, don't they? They're all about the environment. I mean, they really love it. Not just like you and I, you know, I like the environment because I like the colour green and I try to buy fair trade coffee because it makes me feel good about myself. No, more than that, in Castle, Maine, you know, normally police in other towns in the town I grew up in, Tamora, police are normally dealing with beer, bar brawls, you know, that sort of stuff. Castle, Maine, they deal with Facebook fights over the environment and that's put ads in the paper saying, please stop fighting over this key issue. Right? <laughs> right, kid you not. They love the environment, really love it. And when they think about God, and I know they do because I go to the Castlemaine markets with my wife, dutifully, every so often. <laughs> and we go there and they're wearing their hemp clothing and they've got their hemp bags and their boots they found in some, I don't know, under a building somewhere. <laughs> and they're talking about their log bath and how they get in touch with God through creation and that's how they know God and they drive away in their beamer. And I just think... <laughs> Is that how you know God? That's how they think they know God, from creation, from the universe. Of course, the Bible shows us, in part, they are beating a worn track. It, it, is, it is, in part, you can get to know about God a little bit from creation, can't you? Theologians call this a general revealing about God from his creation. It's a general revelation, if you're wondering where we are on the outline. We read in Psalm 111, verse 2. This is why I said you need to kind of follow the outline of the Bible verses. This is where we're going now. You can go there. I'm going to read it. But um, if I read it before you get there, don't feel bad. Um, Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord and studied by all who delight in them. It's true, isn't it? You can actually look at creation and think, that's magnificent. You know, I'm a huge fan of pine trees. I grew up in the Riverina. It's infested by pine trees. Amy hates pine trees. My wife hates pine trees. She loves gum trees. I just think, yeah, gum trees, yeah, scraggly looking thing. Pine trees are just beautiful. I drive up through in Creswick, Ballarat, and I'm like, look at the pine trees. I 
just need to tears because <laughs> the works of the Lord are great. They're magnificent. They're like symmetrical and you feel like you want to decorate them. You know, Christmas or something. Because the works of the Lord are great. And if you study them and you study pine trees, you find the cells and they're symmetrical too and some of them are not. And fingerprints are different. It's, it's magnificent to study the works of the Lord. It really is. This verse, Psalm 111 verse 2, is, is uh, one of those verses that has become a little bit famous because they put it above Cambridge University's new Cavendish Physics Laboratory. Lab, yeah. Their lab door. Laboratory door. Yes, we got there in the end. They put it above the door. Why would they put it above the door? Great are the works of the Lord. Why would they do that? Because they're reminding those who study physics in Cambridge that if you study the works of creation, of the universe, you can delight. You can delight in them. But also as a reminder, you're actually studying more than just creation. You're studying something that someone made. You're studying the magnificent work of God. A preacher in Sydney said recently, uh, it's like when God gets his universe in the Psalms and he says, look at the universe. And he says, look at the universe, how great it is. He says, the universe, it's my bling. <laughs> creation is beautifully complex. And students of creation, whether in Cambridge or in Bendigo or in Geelong, Ballarat, Warrnambool, are privileged to delight in it. Albert Einstein once said, the only thing incomprehensible about the universe is that it is comprehensible. The only thing that's so hard to understand about creation is that you can actually understand it. You can pull it apart and examine it and look at it. And we're still discovering things. And we delight in doing that. And many people who believe in God love to do that. There are many scientists that are Christians. Many of you have become studiers of creation in different ways. And you're a believer in God. The question is, though, can you know God from his creation? Can you know him from looking at those beautiful pine trees? Can you know him from looking at the universe? Again, where I'm from, a lot of believers in God think yes. They think that's where we know God from. They think, well, we know God from creation. In fact, we will form a theology about God, a study of God from creation. And we like to call that natural theology on your outline there. In Acts 17 and in Romans 1, we read about natural theology. In a sense, the Apostle Paul highlighted in, in Acts 17 how people have been conducting this enterprise of natural theology since the beginning, since we've, there was a people. Ever since we founded art galleries in caves, we've been creatively thinking about how God created everything. And then we kind of went, well, that's amazing. And then we put it on the cave wall. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's just, we, we do natural theology. We think about God involved in the process. In Acts 17, verses 26 to 27, we read, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. They should seek God, and perhaps they feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us. Paul was able to talk to a bunch of philosophers. I reckon they're kind of like uni students. We've got a phrase in Bendigo, because the university is always trying to kick us off. You know, it happens to everyone I know. But they don't like Christian groups. We've got T-shirts, run in the back of them. See you, proclaiming Christ at uni since 51 AD. We've been doing this for a while now, okay? Paul walked into Athens. He talked to uni students. We've been doing it for a while, okay? Just so you know, university. 
But anyway, when Paul goes and speaks to uni students in Athens, philosophers, he's able to use their language that they understand. Why? Because he spoke about the universe that God created. They're in it. They're living in it. He spoke about it. Natural theology builds a case for there being a creator God. It builds a case because it says you look at the natural things and see that someone must have made that. We look at it, we study it, and we try and get to know the God who made it. Many students I've met in Bendigo who believe in God, though, well, they wouldn't know they're doing natural theology, but that's what really amazes them. That's what really makes their socks roll up and down. And so I, I try and talk about you know, Jesus. And, no, it's creation. That's what, they want to sing songs about creation alone. Like, you know, it's kind of like they just want to stay with natural theology. They just want to stay with creation alone. It's like, it's like it's their solar. You know what I'm talking about? Theologians have those phrases. The reformers, I love those phrases. You know, solar scriptura. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Solar just means alone. So scripture alone. Christ alone. Faith alone. Ringing any bells? Anyway, it's a fun joke if you understood it. But <laughs> there's this word solar, right? S-O-L-A. Okay. It means alone. So solar, solar fides. Is sol- is, we, we believe through faith alone. Solar Christus, solus Christus in Christ alone. Well, for, for students in Bendigo, sometimes I wonder, for them it's kind of like solus genus. It's, it's creation alone. It's like they believe you only know God through creation. That's where they stop. That's where they stay. It's just in natural theology. It's just looking at creation. That is what rings their bell. Now, I'm not trying to have a go here. I'm just saying... Just asking the question, can you know God from creation? Natural theology is fine if you want to say there's some fingerprints here. We're going to try and find out whose fingerprints they are. But can you know him? Can you know him from creation alone? You know, is it, oh, it's nice to say great sunrise. But can you know the God who made the sunrise? Trees, I love trees. You know, great grass. Thanks, God. How do you, do you know him from creation? The problem I hope you see by now is that whilst you can know some things, some things about God from his creation, a natural theology can never give you a knowledge of God that is personal and right. You can't have a right relationship with the creator when you broke his world. You can't know him personally just by looking at his world and guessing about him. You can't know him that way. A natural theology that comes from a general revelation doesn't get to a knowledge of God. It it kind of starts a process for some people, perhaps, but you've got to move beyond it. You really do. It's a cold, hard fact. It's why many people in our world call themselves atheists, agnostics or anti-theists. They do that because we know... People can know about God from creation, but they also suppress that truth. Romans 1. Come with me to Romans 1, verses 18 to 23. In Romans 1, verse 18, we read this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools." and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We have knowledge. Our world has knowledge. Knowledge about God. And they get that knowledge, and what do they do? The Bible the Bible's consistently showing us what our world is like, isn't it? It's, what it says is so true, it's so clear and true. Not only can you delight in creation, but this is what people do. You can look around you, this is, just matches up with our generation, doesn't it? People can know about God, they know about his creation. What do they do with that knowledge? What do they do with this creation, this universe? They, verse 18, suppress the truth. Push it down, push it down, push it down. I will not believe. I will not believe someone put that there for me. I will not believe that someone, put, that someone actually exists before creation. I, I will suppress that truth. And what do they do then? This, this knowledge is as plain and clear about God, verse 19. <clears throat> So that without excuse, verse 20, they suppress that truth. And so much so, what do they do? They claim to be wise. That's how you suppress truth. I know. And you are just not smart enough like me. I'm smarter than you. Because I don't believe in fairy tales. I know. There's no existence of God. I know. And what do we do as a society? We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And where does that lead? We become very, very religious. We worship. That's what we do. Oh, the new atheist would say, I don't, I don't worship anything. No, you do. You give your life to the things you see because you don't want to see the one who made them. Verse 23, we exchange the glory of an immortal God for images resembling man and birds and animals and creatures. Oh, but I, I haven't worshipped any idols made out of you know, birds. Like, I would never worship some sort of football club with a magpie on it. I would never do that. <laughs> I, I wouldn't worship any of that stuff. We've moved beyond worship of things made out of wood, haven't we? We don't worship any stuff these days, do we? We don't worship anything. But then we look in the mirror we worship daily and we give everything to our God daily and it happens to be a creature rather than the creator and we suppress the truth we have knowledge about God from creation but we don't get to know him personally from creation it's not a saving knowledge that's why atheists you know they can Perhaps move to agnostic, perhaps move to deist, but they don't get a saving knowledge just by creation alone. A theologian once said, the knowledge of God through nature and conscience, apart from the revelation of Christ, it's not a saving knowledge. It's a condemning knowledge. That's Romans 1. People are judged because you, you could see, you could know, but you suppressed the truth. You rejected the Creator. You rejected God. So just staying in natural theology won't help us at all. If that's where this whole camp went, and we spent the next four or five days being amazed at creation and singing songs about creation, we're not going to get to know God one skerrick. 
It's just blind leaping. And Christianity is never about a blind leap of faith. I had this, this discussion on campus once. I was preaching, question time, like that, a question time. Someone said, Christianity is all about a blind leap of faith. And they went to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is not about a blind leap of faith at all. In fact, it's about the opposite. It's about the direct... Go and read Hebrews 11 in context of chapter 10. Hebrews 11 is not about a blind leap of faith. It's the exact opposite of a blind leap of faith. We'll find out later in the week why. The Bible doesn't use the expression. I think we should lose the expression. How can you know God? You can't know Him personally and rightly from a general revelation through to a natural theology. You can't. How then? How do you get to know someone personally? How do you do it? Because I, I know that you guys know how to do this very well. How do you get to know someone personally? You need them to speak to you. It's the golden rule for dating, isn't it? Romantic relationships, that is, not carbon dating. We're moving on that stuff. I remember, I remember, when my eyes saw an image that sent a message to my brain, which sent a message to my heart to beat faster, which sent a message to my limbs so they could continue standing and receiving enough blood to stand up when I saw her. It wasn't Nick, that's Amy. (laughs) It was 2008. She was sitting next to the vending machine at the campus cafeteria and she was beautiful. Studious. At least I could make out from a distance. Friendly friendly towards others around her. She had, I think I could see from a distance, perhaps green, blue, sometimes brown eyes. Um, brown hair, lovely brown hair, an infectious smile. And I thought, my future wife, except I didn't know if she liked me. In fact, I'd never shaken her hand. We never met. We weren't even friends. I didn't know her name. What I needed was special revelation. I needed her to speak to me. Otherwise, it's just weird. (laughs) Otherwise, my relationship with that girl is just going to be pathetic guesswork at best. She likes me so much because she once flicked her eyes across the campus and I think she saw me. We're going to get married. If you're a guy, please don't think that's the way to... You need her to speak to you, don't you men? Which means you need special revelation. When it comes to knowing God, we desperately need special revelation. We need God to speak to us. To reveal himself to us. Come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. A purple passage, one you know well. Who here has ever done the Justice Starters Bible study? Yes. Great little Bible study. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, you'll be, you'll be saying in your mind right now, we need this. Verse 16, all scripture is God, is, sorry, is breathed out by God, it's going from NIV to ESV, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is God breathed. How do we hear God speak? We hear him in his word. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 1, not far over. Keep going 
to the right in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. How do we know God speaks to us? He speaks to us through his word, through his son. This is where a biblical doctrine of revelation begins. God speaks. We listen. As we read his word, God has spoken to us in his word. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to spend a lot of time reading our Bibles this week. A lot of, you'll do a lot of things this week, won't you? You know, you'll, you'll uh, meet new people and date new people. Um, you'll, what? I'm just guessing. You know, welcome to City Country Summit. We're going to, there's lots of things happen that's fun. Um, so, stop the recording being paused. Um, we're going to eat tasty food. Uh, we're going to eat seconds. Now we're going to dress up as a cop or a robber, warm up by the fire, burn things in the fire. The most significant and important thing you're going to do this whole week, though, is you're going to read your Bible a lot. You're going to read it a lot. If you think that's going to be hard work, I'm so glad you're realistic. <laughs> but if you think the Bible is boring to read, it's a boring thing to do, or that reading and thinking so much is anti-Christian, let's be spiritual, let Jesus rebuke you. See, sometimes we think the doctrine of God is hard. Easy option is, I'm not going to do that thing. I love God, that's all that matters. Less thinking for me. You know? That's wrong thinking. Jesus gives a great commandment. Sums it up this way. To love God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. Some Christians say, where's the Spirit in that? Where's the Holy Spirit? Someone actually said it to me once, like just like this. Where's the Holy Spirit? Well, let Jesus rebuke you again. Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit, is the Word of God. We're going to be in the Word of God. We're going to be listening to the Word of God all this week, daily. A very Holy Spirit thing. The Spirit illumines the Word to our minds. We can understand it and not believe it and hear God because the Spirit works. More about that on Thursday. And we're going to listen to God, we're going to listen to God's Son. More about that tomorrow night. We're going to hear God and get to know God from His Word. This is a word-based theology on the outline there. That's how we're going to get to know God to start with, from His Word. Come with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Again, another purple passage. If you don't know what purple passage means, it just means it's really you know, important, we go there a lot. Whatever colour you like, really. Purple, black, I don't know, beige. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple. I'm so glad for that one. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. I'm still so glad for that one. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Here's the kicker. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Even in a book that gets its wisdom, a lot of proverbial wisdom is from the facts of creation, isn't it? You know, a dripping tap's like a nagging wife, just a fact. Um, well, don't get... Hey, God wrote it, okay? Uh, 
I'm sure we can find many things about the sluggard who's a man who... I love the sluggard. This is a bit tangential, but I love the sluggard. He can't even be bothered reaching his hand out to the bowl. He wants someone to get the bowl to him in his bed. Can you just get the bowl? I can't reach out for it. Just, that's, that's like a husband sometimes. Okay? We're all feeling very good now. In Proverbs, the real beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. Yahweh, to fear God. You'd be a fool not to. Word-based theology, that's the way we get to know God. It's, it's what some theologians call redemptive revelation. It re- we actually get redeemed. We get a right relationship because God speaks to us. He is the one that takes the initiative. Have you thought about that? See, we're often running around going, I found God. How did you find God? No, you didn't. You didn't find him. He found you. Was God lost? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That means God. No, you were the lost. God reached down. He stooped down and he found you. He stooped down and spoke into human language. Have you ever thought that's amazing? That God accommodates himself into human language and speaks your language. Yes, he spoke Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Yes, he he did that. But we can translate human language. It's a wonderful gift. We can translate it so you can open an English Bible and God speaks to you. A word-based theology. God reveals himself in Scripture. And we need him to do this. We need him to stoop down. We need to know him personally. Why? Because we see in the Bible, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. Because we are unlike God. We are not holy and good, not righteous. We're born bad and we're stuck in sin. We are born bad and we're stuck in sin. And the evil we know and the experience we experience in this world, it's our problem, it's our evil, it's our sin. So as we read God's word on the world, we see there's a problem between us knowing God. And it's not just because I can't read enough. It's because I'm so sinful. The problem has been sin. We read in Genesis 3, verse 22, the Lord God said, Behold, the man, humanity that is, has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. God does not want us to be in this state of sin like this forever. So he does something. He reveals himself. And he has to because sin has even distorted our knowledge of God. That's why we suppress the truth, some of us. Sin has distorted our knowing God because We want to become little gods ourselves. That's what we prefer, to be like God, but without knowing God. I prefer, you know, that's what we want. That's my sinful nature wants that. Sin doesn't just break our relationship with God, it distorts our knowledge of Him. We need someone to cross the gap. We need a cross. How can we know God with sin on the scene? A lot of people say things like, you know, if God showed up, then I believe. Well, Guess what? He did. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ, and he has come to a world near you. So get to know God by hearing his word and meeting Jesus in the scriptures. That's where you meet him. You don't meet him in a funny little moment under a rock in a cave. You don't meet him by listening to the wind blowing through your ears. You don't meet him by looking at a tree and its bark all day long. You meet God by hearing his word, reading his word, and meeting Jesus in the scriptures. That is where you meet God. So stop wasting your time by going anywhere else. It's a waste of your very short life. And you won't find him in the woodshed. 
or in the shack or in any other shed. (laughs) You find him in the Bible. You meet Jesus in the scriptures. For in the beginning was the word. We're now going to go to our main text, John 1. We're still going to hit lunch at 1. It's going to be okay. Here's the deal. If you want to get to know someone famous, where do you go? How are you going to go? How are you going to get to know, you know, it's very sad lately. Um, it truly is actually sad. So Tom Cruise is now, his third marriage has ended um, with Katie. How are you ever going to get to know Tom Cruise? You know, and even if Tom Cruise died, how would you get to know him? How are you going to get to know someone famous? Do you look for what? Their biography. You need to find the biography. So we need to find the biography of Jesus. I wonder where we could find that. Oh, maybe on the Gospels? So we go to the Gospels, let's go to John's Gospel, John's bios of Jesus. And we go to John's Gospel and we start reading and we read some words that kind of do bend our brain a little bit. We read this, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now that might seem a little hard, but understandable. But it reveals so much about God. He is telling you so much about himself in so few words. See, before that first moment when pine trees came into existence, when the whole thing, the whole shebang just went bang, it was there. Before that moment, God existed. And so we flick forward and we see, as we read through John's Gospel, we meet God. John, who wrote this, the Apostle John, he was a follower of Jesus. He was an eyewitness. He saw this man and he says of this man, in the beginning was the Word and the Word became flesh. Like you and I. It's kind of a funny thing to write, isn't it? I mean, if you're a Bible reader and you read this first line, you're kind of thinking about God and all of a sudden God, the Word, He's the Word and He's flesh? What does this mean? What does John mean? As you keep reading through John chapter 1, all those verses, you see clearly he's talking about Jesus. It seems strange to call Jesus the Word, but what John means is this. He's using a phrase that the Bible uses. The Word, Word is a word, is a word that means an idea of revelation. Jesus is God's revelation of himself. He is the Word of God. You want to know God? You want to see revelation? You want to read revelation? You want to meet revelation? Meet the revealing of God? You meet Jesus. He reveals God. What does this mean for us? It means when we read the Word of God and we meet Jesus, the Word of God, you meet God. You get to know God. And as we get to know God, we come across some tricky things to tackle with. Things that Nick has already mentioned and prayed about, in fact. Things like Trinity. Things like what we sung in Holy, Holy, Holy. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And some people find that difficult to swallow, hard to digest. And, you know, they find that difficult, but it's not too hard to understand. If you just keep reading the Bible and you get to know the God who is triune. Some people say God can't be three in one. It's actually logically impossible, they'll say. It's an old chestnut that often our Muslim friends bring out. You can't know. God can't be. There's no such thing as three in one. There's no such thing. Some other people, some other of your friends might say, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses will say, well, in this text, text of John 1, Jesus is not God. God is not triune because God, well, John doesn't use a little word, an article, a different article called the. So in, you know, in the original language, there's no the. He's not the God. He's just a God. 
The problem with that one is John doesn't use that language of the and are consistently throughout his gospel. It just doesn't work. But apart from all that kind of debating to and froing and that sort of thing, it is hard for us to understand how is it that, that God is one God, yet three persons, and that Jesus is one of those persons. God the Son, who became flesh, is this man Jesus. It is hard to understand, isn't it? It is hard. That's true. It's sometimes hard to fully grasp what we're speaking about. But these verses in John's Gospel reveal to us magnificent things. They really do. And I think it's okay to think God is hard to understand because I'm never going to nail him in my mind with my human rationality in that sense. There is a Christian rationality and it's given to us in the Bible. God is big. He is magnificent. And if you're kind of worried about, oh, I don't want to sort of end summit or be caught out as a heretic because, you know, thought something different about Jesus, don't worry. Here's a good phrase that helps you. It's from that song we just sung. To understand the Trinity in a nutshell... God in three persons. That just helps you kind of, if you're, if you're walking on a roof cap of a roof and you don't want to slip down this side or this side, it just helps you to stay on the roof cap, on the straight line. God, one God, three persons. And we see that this word, this word of God that become flesh, shows us everything about this God in three persons because he is relational within himself even. The three persons relate to each other, they love each other, which also shows us how God relates to us in love. Now, there's been a lot of deep thinking on the theology of God just now. Take a breath of breather. But with all this, we see the great question of our friends is often, whether they're maybe Muslim or they're not Jehovah's Witness, but they're agnostic, atheist, is why is there something? Why isn't there nothing? John 1 answers that question. Why? Verses 3 to 5 we see that the Word of God created all things, created all things in verses 3 to 5, and in His creation, He reveals things, this light, but this light comes into the world and becomes one of the creatures, becomes a human. The Word is not a created being, He is the Creator, but becomes part of creation in this sense, and He comes to reveal things. He, becomes to, he comes in to reveal the why. God comes to us through Christ to show us that all things are created through him and for him, and that includes you and I. We're gearing up for a question then, aren't we? If all things are created through him and for him, and it's, that's you and I, we're part of creation, where are we going to go with that? Well, we need to know him, don't we? We need to know him. If we're created for him, we need to know him. Throughout the history of the world, we've seen that God has revealed himself in different ways. That's what Hebrews 1 said. But now he's revealed himself through his Son. And the Word made flesh and the Word of God, the Bible, gives us this big message, the Gospel, the good news. And if Jesus is the Creator God, and there is life in him and there is light, we really need to get to know Jesus. Other people have gotten to know Jesus throughout history. Verses 6 to 9, we see that one of them was John the Baptist. John the Baptist, not John the writer of John's Gospel, John the Baptist was sent by God as a witness. That is, he, he saw that here is this, this man who was God and he, he, he was born as a baby and he grew to live and to walk and to eat and sleep and die the way humans do. 
It's John's witness says that he is the light, he is the full revelation of God as well. For the word became flesh on your outline there. The word became flesh. We're going to skip to the end of that passage, verses 14 to 18. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Among us. Again, this is, this is New Testament language the Old Testament picks up. You know, in the beginning was the word, verse 1. It connects with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Now, John's picking up Old Testament language again. Because Jesus, who is God, he came to dwell amongst us. He came to literally tabernacle. With us. When has God ever done that before? In the Exodus? He tabernacled with his people. Literally, God with his people. This is Jesus. God with us. And now we read of this Jesus, this Son of God. He is the one who has come to reveal God, He is the one to get to know. John the Baptist says, we've been waiting for him, verse 15. This is what the world has been waiting for. We read in verse 18, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Not creation, not anything else. Jesus has made God known. Not sunsets. Jesus has made God known. Literally in verse 18, made him known. If you're into kind of Bible and exegesis, you know the word exegesis? Get your meaning out of the text? That's the word there. The word is actually literally exegesis. That's the word. He, Jesus exegetes God. He makes him known. And why does he do this? John 1, verses 9 to 13, the centre of that text. If you're kind of into geeky stuff about the Bible, it's called a chiasm. The centre of this text, you know, usually the big punchline of most writings is where? Where is the big punchline? At the end. Sometimes in the Bible it does fancy things, it's in the middle. You know, the end bits relate to each other, they're talking about the same sort of stuff, and the middle is the punchline, and we see in the punchline in the middle, verses 9 to 13, Jesus does this to reveal God and give us the right to become children of God. Jesus came to the world of humans to make God known. But the world could not care less. Verse 11. He came to his own people even. The Old Testament people who were waiting. They wanted to know God. They weren't like new atheists. They were kind of like, you know, pretty friendly towards God. Mostly. No, hang on. Usually. Sometimes. They're like us, aren't they? They're sinners. And so when God shows up and says, Hi, look into my eye. Shake my hand. I love you. I've come to save you. I don't want to know you. They did not want to know him. He came to his own. They did not receive him. Sin blinds people that much. It really does. If we haven't grasped that the idea that God has to actually reach down to us and be sovereign in salvation, then we have really got a really low view of sin, a really dim view of sin. Sin is that bad that God had to breach that gap. He had to do it, not us. And we see... That God comes to do this, Jesus comes to do this, to be born a human so that humans can become children of God. They can be forgiven. They can be right and know God personally. Because Jesus makes God known personally. And Jesus is the God who dies a human's death for humans. For our sin. For our death. We can know God because of the doctrine of the triune God and we can know him because of Jesus. 
on your outline there, the doctrine of the triune God means a few things for us this week as we finish up. See, everyone has a doctrine, that's true. Everyone can has a belief about God, whether you like it or not. You have a belief, I'm encouraging you to have a belief that is based on the Bible. Not guesswork. Not imagination. That's fine for Disney, it's not fine for understanding God. I want you to read the Bible, hear his word, and meet him in the scriptures. That means we're going to work hard at understanding God. You know, sometimes we sort of turn works into bad, and everything's all works are bad. Works are bad if you think you get saved by them. But sometimes we do hard work, good work, so we can understand God. That's what we're going to do. Good works. Understand God, tell about God, you know, evangelism, good works. We're going to do good works this week. We're going to work hard at reading God's word to understand him. We're going to take some effort to do this, to understand the huge and humbling doctrine of God. We're going to understand things like Trinity, yes. You know, Trinity is like a nickname. Like I had a nickname at school, it was Rusty, then it became a chauffeur at Ag College, for reasons I'll talk about later. But um, Trinity, is a, yes, it's a nickname, but it describes so much about God. We're going to learn about God, how he's God, one God, three persons. We're going to learn all this stuff, and as we do so, we are going to work in understanding God, but don't ever think that you can kind of understand God so much so that you've got him worked out that you can suppress him and put him away. For if you understand God... You don't understand him to ignore him. You understand him not to rebel against him. You understand him to know him, to love him, to relate to him. See, the Trinity can be hard, isn't it? But you can't have salvation without the Trinity. You can't be saved without the triune God working for you in salvation. You can't relate to God without him being triune, about him relating to you first. We, show, we see in Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus shows us how important it is to know the triune God, to know that God is Trinity. It's the heart of this relationship with him. And I want to put it to you that Christians are Trinitarians. If you relate to God rightly, we are Trinitarians. I hear lots of evangelism, because that's what I do, get paid for it, I know, but I hear lots of evangelism is good, we're training evangelists, but lots of evangelists, lots of Christians talk all about God, just God, 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 and that's great, but they never talk about Jesus. You could be a Muslim evangelist for all I know. Christians are Trinitarians. We will speak about Jesus. We will speak about the Father who sends the Son, who sends the Spirit. And we'll, we'll speak about God this way. We're going to work hard to understand God so we can, second point on that section, relate to Him. Relate to God. There are things about God that it's like us. He's relational. We're relational. There are things about God that's not like us. We're not like Him. Because he is so magnificent and so big. Theologians call this the language of communicable and non-communicable attributes of God. If you're wondering why we're talking about it, we had a meeting with it. We probably should mention this briefly. So it's here. Here you go. God is magnificent and we are going to understand him, yes. We're going to understand him, so we're going to relate to him, yes. But bear this in mind. There are things about God and things about us that are very different. We are like God in that we have love and we can have mercy and knowledge and power to a certain level. But of course, we are unlike God in that he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, things like that. It's like that hymn, the M words. The M is a negation. It's, we're not like God in this way. You know that, oh, that great old hymn, 
immortal, invisible, God only wise. You are not so wise as God. You're not immortal. Sorry. Yes, you're not immortal. Um, You are mortal. You're not invisible. You are not like God in those ways. Those things are non-communicable. You're not like him. But there are things that we are like, but we can relate to God. This is a wonderful thing to relate to the God who made us. Which means that relationship ends in knowing him. Not just knowing about him and I might paint a picture what I feel about God or kind of talk about God or imagine. You know him personally. You relate to him. When I was growing up, we used to sing a chorus in church about knowing God. Um, it's one of those you know, fun little songs. It was, it was a pretty quiet, soft song. I wonder if you know it. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. For some reason, little church that I grew up in, we all had to be very still, very quiet, and sing that song. <laughs> be still and know. I used to think, why is it? Why have I got to be still? And like, why is it when we walk into church, we're going to be really quiet? We sit down in our little seats and we wait for church to begin. We might get a little bit loud at one point and sing a bit, and then we get a little bit soft again, and we sing a song, be still, and know. If I'm going to be really still, just to know, do you know, that, 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 those words come from Psalm 46, okay? Psalm 46, verse 10, in the context of Psalm 46, is actually talking to the nations that are raging. There's a lot of noise going on. The nations hate God. They're raging. And literally, the words which are in plural are, shut up, shut the rage up, and listen. Be still and know that I am God. <clears throat> to know God is to know him as your God. Not as someone else's God. Not as It's interesting that God's like that, isn't it? That's what I learned at, Super Summit, at Summit 2012. God's like that. No, to know him as your God. Abraham was called a friend of God in Isaiah 41 verse 8. God spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend in Exodus 33 verse 11. It's for you to know him. People have said very sad things lately about our world and knowing God. Knowing the truth about God cuts down all those lies. Uh, The Second Vatican Council of the Roman Catholic Church, uh, back in the 20th century, said this. The plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. In the first place, these are the Muslims, who, professing to hold faith of Abraham along with us, adore the one and merciful God, who in the last day will judge mankind. You hear what they're saying? They're saying that if you just know the Creator, or believe in a Creator, you know God. It's kind of a bit, you know, softly, softly. You know, as Muslims, they, 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 they know God too. Because they believe in God, don't they know God? No. Allah is an idol. He's a human, imagined idol. He is not the triune living God. He is not the one who saves. He is not the one who reveals himself in Scripture. You cannot relate to God if you just believe in Allah. You do not know God at all. So we know him to relate to him. And to relate to him, we do so as the triune living God saves us. So we become children of his. We do this through the gospel of God on your outline. 
So there are lots of people expect God to be there. They ask the question, has God revealed himself to humanity? Yes, he has. He's done it in Jesus. He's done it in Jesus so much so that when you look to the good news of Jesus, you know God personally and rightly. Because God has revealed himself. He himself has given himself. He has died on the cross for your sin, risen for your hope, so that you can know him, believe in him, relate to him rightly and personally by knowing the gospel of God and believing it. If you know the gospel and believe and live by the gospel that Jesus is Lord, your Lord, then you know God. This brings a final question then. Beyond can you know him is do you know him? Do you know God? Do you know him? Uh, as a, a theologian, a writer, his name is Graham Goldsworthy. You haven't heard of Graham Goldsworthy? He's written some books. Yeah, he's got some books probably on the bookstand, I guess. Maybe? I don't know. He's written some books. And um, he, he teaches lectures at colleges around Australia and overseas. And I once heard him speak and someone asked him, Graham Goldsworthy, how did you become a Christian? How did you get to know God? And he said, well, for him, he's quite a thinking type person, you know. He's kind of thinking through everything. And he said, well, for him, for, for a few years of his young adult life, he just kept thinking, well, maybe God's there. Yeah, I believe God exists. I believe God exists, but I'm you know, not quite sure if, he's, if he wants to relate to me. Do I want to relate to him? Anyway, Graham Goldsworthy says one day he goes to a camp just like this. And a guy called John Chapman is preaching. Now, John Chapman is an evangelist, been an evangelist all his life, an old guy. If you want to see a fun video of John Chapman, he was interviewed recently, and he's, he's quite elderly these days, he interviewed at the AFES staff conference. Go to the AFES Facebook page, I think it's there, you can listen to John Chapman speak about evangelism in his day. But John Chapman's a very blunt bloke, right? John Chapman's been preaching, and he gets Graham Goldsworthy, knowing he's a thinking young man, takes me out the steps outside the hall at the end of the, the talk, and he says, what do you think of that, Graham? And Graham said, yeah, I think... Because of Jesus, I think I can know God. And John Chapman said, Good son, now believe it and go to bed. (laughs) Do it. Believe. There it is. The evidence for you. God has revealed himself to you. He has spoken to you. He has come to you as a man and died for you. Rose for your hope. This is the gospel. Do you know God? Believe in the gospel and you will know him. Believe in Jesus. Let's pray that the answer is yes, that you do know God, that you believe. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that you spoke to us throughout the history of the world in many times and in many ways, but that you've spoken clearly and now particularly through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you that we can know you because your Spirit works in us, that illumines your word to our hearts, that applies it so that we can know you. Thank you for your divine initiative. We pray that now knowing you, that we would continue to trust you at your word, read your word, study you from your word, And that as your spirit uses your word in us, that we would give glory to your son, Jesus, and that we would love you as our father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.